Good morning, everyone. Thanks for finding your seats. Nice to see so many of you here this morning. For those of you who don't know, I'm Scott Hostetler, professor of music here at Goshen College, and I'm privileged to introduce our guest speaker today. Bradley Kaufman looks for meaning in unexpected places, dialogue among unlikely conversation partners. 18 years of programming and conducting vocal and instrumental ensembles in Mennonite institutions offered rich forms for faith, culture, history, and the questions of our time to intermingle. He is energized by the joys and challenges of curating a worship collection for the 21st century Mennonites, which is Voices Together, which we're looking at today. Bradley has made his home in Ohio, Iowa, Indiana, and Kansas, now residing here in Goshen with his spouse, Renee, and children, Luca and Rowan. And he also teaches here at, for a second time as choir director at Bethany Christian Schools. He's a proud 1996 grad of Goshen College. Uh, I first met Bradley when I was a first year living in Kratz, and the whole floor would often gather in his room to hear him play his guitar and sing Simon and Garfunkel and Beatles tunes. He was and still is one of my musical heroes. Today, Bradley will be sharing about inclusion and representation in the new Mennonite worship resource, Voices Together, for which he served as general editor and project manager. We welcome Bradley to the stage. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for that introduction. Let's uh, start with the song, number 11 in Voices Together. Number 11. So whether, whether you're an ear learner or an eye learner, I think this tune uh, is, is fairly accessible and, and will uh, be picked up rather quickly. When we get to the refrain, as you become familiar with it, feel free to improvise harmonies on the refrain when you get there. The part that says, so come, come as you are. Come, let us go to a place that is pure To learn about love and wipe away tears To melt swords of stone and hearts made of stone Set prisoners free and give strangers a home So come, come as you are Oh, come from near and far Oh, come, salvation will take as we climb the mountain of God. From each corner and end of the earth, we'll gather together to sing of your worth. A blind who can see and a weary who rests, good news for the poor, freedom for oppressed. So come, come as you are. Salvation will taste as we climb the mountain of God. Let's sing the refrain one last time. So come. 
Thank you. Thanks for entering into that. Um, this morning, in a fairly short period of time, I have the, the task of, of talking a lot about singing, and I understand that next week you're going to be spending more time in experiential um, practices with voices together, and so I, my comments today will, will be uh, talking about singing, which is hard for me to do, um, because I would like to actually jump in and, and sing the examples as well. We'll do that um, as, as uh, certain examples come along, we'll take time for that as well. Um, I'm grateful, Scott, for that generous introduction, and uh, I would add to that that I'm the proud uncle of Anna Kaufman and Leah Kaufman, Goshen College students. <laughs> yeah. It's a pleasure to be here to talk about Voices Together. For about four and a half years, I served as project director and general editor for this new collection curated for Mennonite Church USA and Mennonite Church Canada. The songs we sing in worship, the words we memorize, the tunes that imprint on our hearts, these things shape and sustain us. And so the responsibility of curating a collection that, that ends up on a printed page and, and has some durability both physically and and I think in terms of content, uh, it's an awesome and joy-filled responsibility and one, one that was both daunting and extremely rewarding. Voices Together was designed to be a successor to the 1992 Hymnal of Worship book and spiral-bound supplements Sing the Journey and Sing the Story. And those books remain in the, in the benches uh, where you're seated today. Those spiral-bound supplements were designed to have roughly a five-year lifespan. And so in the mid-20-teens, significant momentum had been built around uh, the timeliness of curating a new hymnal. And as you can see, this, the spiral-bound volumes have outlived that, um, that five-year anticipated lifespan. And they have also, the content in them ha has gotten a lot of traction in Mennonite uh, circles. A word about my own personal timeline. In the fall of 1992, when Hymnal, a worship book, was brand new, I was a first-year Goshen College student living in Kratz Second. I have a distinct memory from um, one fall Sunday evening when my friend Paul knocked on my door and said he was heading over to the church chapel for uh, a, new, a hymn sing around the new hymnal and that it would be led by Mary Oyer. Mary Oyer is a professor emerita of Goshen College. She is a world-renowned hymnologist and uh, just a brilliant mind and, and musicologist. And so eagerly we came and, and joined in that uh, event. And it was really, um, there was just so much um, momentum around celebrating the adoption of this new collection at that time. So 1992 was formative for me as a music major, as someone interested in church music and the arrival of, of Hymnal, a worship book, that was very formative. And 29 years on, um, this is what Hymnal, a worship book looks like in some, in some places anyway. When I look at this image, I see a collection that has been deeply loved. A collection formed by the church and a group of songs and worship resources that in turn formed a generation of hymnal-using Mennonite Christians. 
So turning to the question then of resourcing and representing. Here's a photo of the, the uh, Mennonite Worship and Song Committee, the group that gathered around the creation of Voices Together, chosen by application to work on a new hymnal. Pastors, musicians, liturgical scholars, and people who deeply love the church. One of the things you're likely to notice uh, immediately is that the committee is predominantly white, middle class, dominant culture individuals, volunteers who had enough privilege to be able to devote large amounts of discretionary time, volunteering. And it's not uh, a group broadly representative of the diversity of the church. And this is a tension we, we felt and lived in. And lacking diverse lived experiences on the committee, we worked to compensate for this in ways that, where we could. Like engaging trusted advisory groups. Constellations of support showed up to this work in so many ways around the people that you see here. It was an imperfect process, yet one met with grace and generosity by everyone who was invited and accepted the call to help. One of our first questions is, who would a new hymnal resource? We needed clarity around this. And given our, our, our mandate, um, our mandate was to, to create a new resource for hymnal-using Mennonites, so that this, this hymnal wasn't going to be marketed necessarily to groups that weren't already using Mennonite hymnals as a, as a galvanizing entry point to worship. And these are primarily English-speaking contexts. And so given that mandate, um, we also wanted to take into account the diversity of, of worship expressions across the church, across cultures, and across um, many different worship practices. And so who else would a new hymnal seek to represent and affirm? The many languages spoken in U.S. and Canadian congregations, and by our count there are 25 languages spoken in, in Canada and the U.S. in Mennonite churches every week in worship, 25 different languages. We would want to, uh, we wanted the collection to include heart songs from Mennonites who are English language learners and heart songs from Mennonites of diverse worship practices, songs from CCLI, um, the uh, contemporary worship music uh, body of work as well. Here's a, a short list of songs that are Mennonite heart songs that have never been in a denominational hymnal before. These songs don't rely on a hymnal to thrive and to, and to have their contributions to a vibrant worship life, but we wanted examples of those kinds of songs to be in the hymnal so that Mennonites uh, can, together, can worship together across differences in worship. Um, I'm gonna pull one of these pieces out. Number 165, number 165 is a heart song from a congregation in Houston, Texas. This hymn, Zisu ni Azultu Nasina, is um, the language is Chin, and it's the language of the people of Burma, Myanmar. And there is a, a refugee community that has become part of, of Western District Conference of Mennonite Church USA. 
and they are in Houston, Texas. And I had the privilege of visiting them and uh, receive this, one of their most important um, heart songs. Um, this song, the story that, that they carry with them about this song is that it was written by the first Chin Christian. And so there's, a, there's, a, there's an element of, there's sort of a mystique around it for that reason. To my um, Western ears, it sounds like Southern Gospel style. And so there are interesting layers of colonialism that we could, we could take apart here and examine. Um, but this is their song, and it is deeply theirs, and they were generous to share it with us. And we translated it to English in, in conversation with them, wanting to, wanting to do right by them and, and have it feel um, like a way that we can enter into worship together. So um, they taught it to us on a Saturday and asked us to lead it in Chin the next Sunday in worship, and we uh, we respectfully declined that because we were kind of overwhelmed by the by the speed of the language. Um, I'm going to sing it s fa fairly slowly by their standards in English. Peace be with you, Jesus told his friends, giving them comfort in their fear. Do not be afraid, he tells his people today. Follow Jesus as your friend and guide, follow him on the narrow way. We have all we need because our God will provide. Holy light is shining in our hearts, holy peace is flowing in our breath. God has promised us the things we need, giving us the victory over death. Alleluia, all praise and glory to God. We could explore the first verse and, and, and um, maybe come to some conclusions around why this song might especially give comfort to a refugee community living in a, in a new and strange country. Um, Uh, to giving them comfort in their fear. Do not be afraid, he tells his people today. Follow Jesus as your friend and guide. Follow him on the narrow way. We have all we need because our God will provide. And it was, it was uh, deeply impactful for us to receive this heart song from the uh, Chin Emmanuel congregation in Houston. So just one example of a heart song that has not been in a denominational collection before but is a way that we can worship together with the church here in the in the US. One of the questions that Suzanne posed um, as as a as a topic for me to address is what do we do when beloved old hymns have language that has not aged well? Uh, this question and other questions um, led us to draft and adopt a document that we called Aspirations for Language Use. And I'm going to quote from that document. In shaping a new collection, we strive to worship in solidarity with a wide variety of people. Our denominations and world contain an amazing array of human diversity. The words we sing and pray can welcome, marginalize, divide, and unify. And people often experience the same words in different ways. That's end quote. And this is a, a list that I'll unpack here briefly. So the aspirations for language use was a set of 10 
discussion prompts that we applied to every resource under consideration for Voices Together. It was not a litmus test, but a baseline conversation that we had with every piece that we considered. And it helped us think about balance across the collection. The first topic was, who is God in, in any given hymn? Who is God portrayed to be? How do each of the categories listed on this list, um, how do they shape our vision of who God is? Have we incorporated a wide range of biblical images and names for God? Have we explored new and stimulating images and names for God? Race and ethnicity. Do the assumptions of one dominant culture, race, or eth uh, sorry, do the assumptions of one culture um, or ethnicity predominate? Is darkness or black identified with sin? Are positive alternatives included? Is race reduced to discrete categories as black and white? Class and economic status. Is wealth equated with blessing in this in whatever song we might have been looking at. How do we address the poor? Are people experiencing poverty spoken of as external to the church, as a mission field, something out there? This is problematic if those are all the references. Can people with varying levels of economic privilege speak or sing with this collection? Ability. How does the collection's language honor those who are blind, deaf, or lame? How is mental illness depicted and cared for? Can people with varying levels of economic privilege speak or sing with this collection? I'm sorry, I, I backed up. Um, is, is differing ability equated with punishment for sin or lack of faith? How might we better incorporate blind, deaf, or mute worshipers? How might we better include worshipers with low literacy? Age. How are different stages of life recognized and named? Are children honored as a part of the worshiping community? Do our words respect their agency and their spiritual lives? Are elders honored as part of the worshiping community? Are their memories of beloved songs respected in our editing? Gender and sexuality. Does our language privilege one gender or expression as normative? Are we reinforcing historic and oppressive gender roles? Are a wide variety of relationships honored, including non-traditional family forms and singleness? Have we incorporated a variety of gendered pronouns and titles for God? Will survivors of gender-based and sexual violence experience the materials in this collection as liberating or healing? Is the human body honored as good and holy? Are traditional terms such as kingdom and Lord balanced by use of other expressions that move beyond patriarchy? Theological diversity. After going through these, these 10, I'll, I'll take some examples and pull them out and we'll, we'll examine them. But just so that we, we kind of tick through them together here, I'll explain them each in turn. Theological diversity, are the diverse the theologies and vocabularies of our denominations represented in our work? 
Will a wide range of congregations be able to find adequate material for worship? In what ways will they be challenged by the collection? To what extent does our language honor the traditional language that many communities value? To what extent does our language push the boundaries of our theology that many communities are exploring? And have we provided material that promotes bridge building and mutual engagement of theological conflict? We wanted to take into consideration other Christians and non-Christian religions. Even as we honor the features that differentiate our faith from others, have we avoided needless offense against people of other traditions? How are other faiths represented in regard to questions of mission, evangelism, and conversion? Would people of other faiths feel respected by worshiping with this collection? Have we avoided violating prohibitions of other religions, such as using the Hebrew name for God? And does our editing recognize the work of our ecumenical partners so that when possible, we can sing and worship together with ecumenical um, friends? Colonialism and nationalism, to what extent do our words assume and perpetuate imperialistic worldviews? What theology of place is expressed? What geography, what climate, government, etc., cetera, is, a, is implied as normative? Do our words invite an, an identification with the worldwide church? Are political, economic, and social concerns of both the US and Canada honored in our work? Finally, relationship of humanity to the earth and to non-human creatures. How are non-human creatures represented? What kind of language predominates for the earth? Is it a good gift or as a precursor to heaven to be escaped? Have we depicted the role of humanity as part of creation? So we'll take an example. Um, one of the the considerations that, that has resonance with our looking at race and ethnicity. In conversation with a volunteer panel of African-American Mennonites who shared valuable teaching, the committee learned that one African-American spiritual in Sing the Journey, the spiral-bound green book, is presented in a way that appropriates the song for a white audience and obscures its story. The version found in Sing the Journey, I think, it's number, I think it's number four in Sing the Journey, has caused harm. And I'm gonna share an essay that, this is an essay that's included in the accompaniment edition to Voices Together. It was co-written by Shannon Dykus, myself, and Katie Graber. And it deals with um, the song that was presented in, in um, Sing the journey as you've got a place at the welcome table. Songs like verses from scripture emerge from specific times and places and also speak beyond their immediate contexts. Many melodies hold deep yearnings for justice and holy entry into divine unity. Intercultural competence invites us to listen for content, acknowledge social location and power, and humbly engage others toward understanding. So the first known record of this African-American spiritual commonly known as Welcome Table 
1922 recording by a university quartet called the Florida Normal and Industrial Quartet. And the words in that audio recording go like this. I'm going to eat at the welcome table. I'm going to shake glad hands with Jesus. God's going to set this world on fire. I'm going to walk and talk with Jesus. I'm going to drink at the crystal fountain. I'm going to eat at the welcome table. As with many songs from African-American traditions, these verses proclaim the power and truth of God's justice. Welcome Table has been sung, recorded, and published in various forms for over a century now. A 1930 publication called The Negro Sings a New Heaven includes a verse, I'm going to tell God how you treat me. During the American Civil Rights Movement, the song took on contemporary potency confronting white supremacy. One of the more famous adaptations of the song during that period was the verse, I'm going to sit at the Woolworth counter. This proclamation confronted the individual and systemic discrimination that were prolonging racial segregation of public spaces and denying access to services and human dignity. Composer Alice Parker, a white composer from the Northeast US, included this tune in her 1976 folk opera, The Family Reunion, in which she adapted the language to you've got a place at the welcome table. And the present edition of Sing the Journey, a side note, I have, word, I have Menomedia's word that in, in subsequent printings of Sing the Journey, they will, they will retract this version and, and insert um, the, our preferred version. Um, in early editions of Sing the Journey, this was presented in Parker's uh, unattributed, but in her adaptation. And while the text may seem to make an inclusive statement, it actually establishes one person or group as having power over others. Singing welcome is important, but we felt like uh, the, the way that this is done in Sing the Journey um, does not accomplish this goal. It undermines the call for justice and erases the vision and voices of those proclaiming God's welcome. Let's sing together number 801. Going to, I'm going to lead this. Um, we're, going to, we're going to sing it slowly. Sure, let's stand. Please stand in body or in spirit. Join me when you, when you discover the, the, um, the groove.
God's gonna set. God's gonna set this world on fire. God's gonna set this world on fire some of these days. Hallelujah. God's gonna set this world on fire. God's gonna set this world on fire some of these days. You may be seated. Um, I'll just quickly highlight a couple of other things. So, so here's an example of, of a conversation that emerged around gen gender and sexuality. Brethren, we have met to worship is number 25 in Hymnal of Worship Book. It's number eight in Voices Together. And here was a, a heart song for, for some Mennonite congregations and for many Church of the Brethren congregations. And um, the, the first line is, um, Brethren, we have met to worship um, sorry. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. The second verse, sisters, will you come and help us? Moses' sisters aided him. So the, the, the position of gender in this felt problematic to us. And so um, the the the, the, the question of what do we do when hymns haven't aged well kind of can go in, in three different directions. One is to, is to thank that hymn for its service and not include it in a future collection. Another is to leave it as is and say it's, it's, it's important enough that we're going to leave it alone and, and present it more or less the way it has been. And then the third option is to look at the possibility of text alterations, which is what we, we did in this case. Um, where, where um, women and men are, are both preaching the word, and um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a language that um, it gives better agency to all worshipers. Um, similarly, the, the, the ecumenically popular hymn, This is My Father's World, um, the father image here is pervasive. Every verse starts, This is My Father's World, and um, as we, as we examined this hymn text, we realized that the, the, the God as Father is not a metaphor that's developed at all in the song. It's really a creation hymn. And so we, we opted for the, um, the, a, a version of this that is already ecumenically adopted. This is God's wondrous world. And then it can, it can stand as a creation hymn and still have expression. We, we were giving a workshop one time and uh, we presented uh, the version of this that we intended to include. This is God's wondrous world. And um, a man in his 80s came to us afterwards and he said, thank you for, thank you for giving this hymn back to me. Because it was, it was something that he loved, but had a lot of tension with, with the language of it. And, and fortunately in that case, and this isn't, this isn't everyone's experience, right? But in that case, it was a case where he felt like he, he got uh, one of his heart songs given back to him in a way that he could feel good about singing. Um, I, I know that our time is, is, um, is come to a close here. Um, I'll, I'll highlight another connection. Um, some of you were on an SST summer 
um, excursion to Arizona this past summer and then the Navajo Reservation, there's a song by Navajo pastor Daniel Smiley, number 562. We wanted a song that would be a Navajo first hymn, a hymn written in Navajo, and, and Pastor Daniel um, responded and said, yes, yes, we could use this song to worship interculturally. Um, settlers and, and indigenous people together. And that was a big gift that he gave to us. And I'll just share this anecdote. Um, we worked together to translate it into English for the first time so that it can appear with an English translation. With a lot of trepidation, we sent Daniel a draft of this text, hoping and praying that it would be faithful to his song and uh, do, do justice and do right by him. And I got a text back a couple days later, and he said, he said, Brother Bradley, I'm sitting with a group of young Navajo, and we're singing, we're singing this translation, and there are tears and lots of joy. And it was one of the times when we felt like this was the Spirit of God moving among us, and, and, um, and that we were asking the right questions and, and, um, and finding, finding connection in relationship. And so relationships... Um, were really important for the formation of this collection, and um, they are an ongoing way that we can worship together. Um, I'm sorry to end abruptly, but I think we need to call it there. Thank you so much for, for listening today. It's been a pleasure. You could hold on for just one quick announcement. Um, chapel next week will be using this resource, and so I hope this rich context from Bradley, thank you so much, will inform our use next week and beyond. Um, in future years, hang on until you're actually officially dismissed from chapel. I know we've kind of gotten out of the routine of chapel and convo with COVID, but usually there are announcements at the end um, and a wrap-up as well. So uh, wait until you're officially dismissed because the most, not the most important thing, but the important thing is there is coffee out on Schrock Plaza, and we would warmly welcome you to stay, mingle with each other, have a little coffee talk with Bradley as well. Um, we've created a little window of time before your 11 o'clock classes. Thanks so much and hope to see you out on Shrock Plaza.